Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. This lecture is titled, Where is my experience of love already? Understanding why love doesn't come easy. In many spiritual teachings and in the mind and hearts of many, the goal of life is to cleanse and open our hearts so that we may experience in our lifetime true love. Some have been hurt either in their own relationships or through the divorce of their parents, and in order to protect themselves, they have decided that they don't believe in true love. Others simply don't feel that they have the potential to experience true love, while yet others refuse to give up and live without true love in their lives and fight the battle of humbling, cleansing, and opening their hearts for true love. Yet what is amazing is that Kabbalah and Hasidus teach us within the heart of every Jew there lies an innate true love. However, this love is called the hidden love. And while it exists within each and every one of our hearts, nevertheless, it is hidden within our hearts and we do not simply feel it. There is a journey, the journey of life, which each and every one of us needs to undertake in order to be able to tangibly feel true love in our hearts. This lecture will uncover the map to our journey for true love. The Torah portion of Ayigash continues with the saga of Yosef and his brothers. Let us recap the events thus far. Joseph was appointed viceroy over Egypt and Joseph appeared Egypt well during the seven years of plenty for the seven years of famine to follow. As God had revealed to Pharaoh in his dreams and as Yosef then correctly interpreted the dreams for Pharaoh. Jacob sent his sons to Egypt in order to buy provisions. Joseph recognized his brothers, while the brothers did not recognize Joseph. Joseph accused the brothers of being spies and took one brother prisoner, until the other nine brothers would bring back their youngest brother Benjamin as a proof that the brothers were being honest about their peaceful intentions for being in Egypt. Jacob having lost Joseph, the older son of his beloved wife Rachel, refused to send Benjamin, his only remaining child, from Rachel. Time went by and Jacob and his family were in need of returning to Egypt for more provisions. Judah told Jacob that they cannot return to Egypt without Benjamin, and Judah promised on his life, in this world and in the world to come, that he will bring back Benjamin to his father, Jacob. Jacob reluctantly agreed. Joseph received the brothers with great honor and pleasure, bonding uniquely with his brother Benjamin. However, Joseph ordered his servant to hide Joseph's personal wine goblet in the sack of Benjamin. And no later after the brothers took leave from Egypt, Joseph accused them of stealing his wine goblet. The goblet was found in Benjamin's sack and Joseph declared, that all the brothers were free to return to their father Jacob. However, Benjamin, for his theft, was to remain as Joseph's servant. Judah, being the one who took responsibility to return Benjamin to their father Jacob, steps forward and enters into a harsh dialogue with Joseph. This is how our Torah portion of Ayigash begins, and Judah 
approached Joseph. As we will soon explain, the Zohar interprets the Torah's teaching of uh, teaching us of Judah's approaching Joseph as a personal teaching concerning what Joseph represents in our personal lives, what Judah represents in our personal lives, and the meeting of Ju Judah and Joseph represents in our personal lives. So let us begin. The Holy Zohar explains the words of and Judah approach Joseph to mean bring close redemption to prayer. Now, before we explain this on a mystical, spiritual, and personal level, we're going to first explain the legal issue of Jewish law that the Zohar is referring to. In our morning prayers, we actually fulfill two different commandments. One is to recite the Shema, Hear, O Israel, God is our God, God is one. In the Shema, the verse says, when you lie down and when you rise. Our, surge, our sages extrapolate from this verse that the Shema must be recited twice a day, once at night when you lie down and once in the morning when you rise. Therefore, in the morning prayer called Shacharit and in the evening prayer, which is called Ma'ariv, we first say the Shema and then we say our prayer, the Amidah, also known as Shemona Esrei, which means 18. For originally, the prayer was made up of 18 blessings. However, the afternoon prayer called Mincha does not have the Shema in it, but just the Shemona Esrei Amida prayer. We only have the Shema in the morning prayer and in the night prayer, for the verse says, when you lie down and when you rise. Now, being that the Shema is the ultimate declaration of faith in one God and that God is everything and everything is God, meaning God is one, Therefore, our sages establish specific blessings, which are called the blessings of Shema, for before and after the Shema, to help us be in the proper frame of mind and in the proper dedication of heart. The second and last blessing of Shema, after the Shema in the morning prayer, closes with, Blessed are you God, who delivered, redeemed Israel. Now, after a blessing of the cantor, all of the congregation answers Amen. However, here, after this blessing of redemption, we do not say Amen and immediately begin the Amida prayer. Some have the custom that the cantor finishes the blessing quietly so that no one hears him to have to answer Amen. Others have the custom that the entire congregation says the last words of the blessing together with the cantor so that they aren't obligated to answer Amen on the cantor's blessing. What is the reason that we don't want to answer Amen after the blessing of redemption and the beginning of the prayer? Now, go back to the Zohar's teaching upon our verse of and Judah approach Joseph that we bring close, what that means is don't make a separation even with the word Amen between the blessings of redemption to prayer. That's what halachically, according to Jewish law, the Zohar is telling us. That Judah approach Joseph means that we don't make any separation between Joseph, which represents the blessing of redemption, and Judah, which represents prayer. And therefore, we don't say Amen in between the blessing and the Amida prayer. However, there is a question to be asked. As we will soon explain, Joseph represents redemption and Judah represents prayer. In the verse, 
of Vayigash, Judah approaches Joseph. And in the Zohar's interpretation, it says that we bring close Joseph, redemption, to Judah, prayer. Which one is it? Did Judah approach Joseph, or does Joseph approach Judah? Additionally, every story that is told in the Torah is not, God forbid, just a story from our past history. Rather, the very word Torah means a lesson, and it means brings light into our life behaviors. However, the story as it is a lesson for us in our lives transforms into a spiritual story. Thus, we need to explore the spiritual lesson of Judah, Joseph, and their approaching each other as it manifests itself in the individual and personal life of each and every one of us. In our personal lives, Joseph, redemption, refers to being able to feel our feelings for God, love, and awe. However, being able to feel awe for God isn't as challenging as being able to feel true love for God. Rabbi Shalom Dovber of Lubavitch, in his Kuntres Hatfilah, a treatise explaining the Hasidic art of the service of prayer, explains that it is quite easy for one to awaken within himself the feeling of awe of God. All he needs to do is to focus on God's omnipresence, that God is present with him where he is, and that God is watching him. However, Rabbi Shalom Bear goes on to explain that to honestly feel a tangible true love for God takes work. Thus, the mystical definition of personal redemption manifests itself primarily in being able to feel our true love for God. Now, Judah, prayer, in our personal lives, refers to our humility before God. Thus, the Amida prayer is said standing with a bowed head and offered silently. It's all about humility. The very name Judah was given to him by his mother because, the verse says, This time I will thank the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. The recognition of gratitude comes from Humility. Now that we have defined Joseph and Judah as love and humility in our personal lives, let us return to the contradiction between the verses order of Judah approaching Joseph and the Zohar's order of Joseph redemption being brought close to Judah prayer. Let me begin by saying that the founding rule of the truth of Torah is that whenever there are two opinions on a matter within the teachings of the Torah, it is said, these and these are the words of the living God. Thus, even though in the physical realm of applicable law, the ruling is to behave as one opinion and not as the other, nevertheless, on a spiritual plane, both opinions manifest themselves and are lessons to be followed in our spiritual personal lives. And so it is in our case of the order of which comes first, and then approaches the other, Judah, Judah to Joseph, or Joseph to Judah, love to humility, or humility to love. They are both true, and both carry for us a lesson. To understand this, we will now need to introduce Benjamin into our story. Benjamin, in the teachings 
of Kabbalah and Hasidus represents the same as Judah does. As a matter of fact, in the history of the Jewish people, Judah and Benjamin were two kindled brothers who both dwelled at Jerusalem and both served under the kings of David from the dynasty of Judah, while the other ten tribes served under the king of Israel from the dynasty of Joseph. In mystical terminology, Benjamin is called Tzadik Tachton, the nether righteous one, which refers to Malchut, kingship, the tenth emanation, which is the blessing of Judah. Now let us go back to the story of Joseph and his brothers, which I explained earlier. First, Joseph hid his silver goblet in the sack of Benjamin, which then led to the brothers being brought back before Joseph, in which Judah approached Joseph. What is the mystical story behind the goblet being hidden in the sack of Benjamin? And why does the verse emphasize that it was a silver goblet? The Hebrew word for silver is kesef, and comes from the root word in Hebrew used for love, as in the verse, nichsof nichsafti, lebeis avicha, for longed you have longed for your father's house. So the word kesef means longed, love. Thus, what you now see in the story is that before Judah, which is humility and prayer, approached Joseph, which is love and redemption, openly, first Joseph approached Benjamin, the spiritual kinship of Judah, in a hidden manner, and hid within Benjamin the goblet of love. Now let us understand all of these mystical teachings about love in a practical manner. I mentioned to you earlier two seemingly contradictory teachings about love. A. Love is planted within each and every one of us genetically and need not be created by us after birth through work. And B. Rabbi Shalom Dober of Lubavitch said that while awe is an easy feeling to experience, in order to feel love we must work for it. And once again, in this contradiction, whether we're born with love and don't have to work to create it, or whether we have to work to experience love, is these and these are the words of the living God. They are both right. The love that is planted deeply within us is called Ahava Misuteret, hidden love. Yes, within the core of every soul lies hidden the experience and the feeling of true love. However, it is hidden. Why does God have to hide the feeling of love within us, while He doesn't have to hide the feeling of awe within us? The answer for this in Hasidus is so amazingly powerful. I'm going to quote to you the actual words of the Hasidic teaching. The reason for this is because in the souls of the intermediate and those less than intermediate, meaning wicked, it is impossible to have this love revealed in order that there shouldn't be from this love a nurturing to the other side, God forbid. Because by them, meaning the intermediates and the wicked, she, meaning the other side, is revealed by them. Therefore, it could be that the power of love will attach itself to foreign things, God forbid. Therefore, the love needs to be hidden, which is the concept of hidden love. End quote. 
let us understand what this mystical teaching is telling us. The power of love is the greatest power of attachment, and experiencing love is the greatest gift from God. However, for us souls of intermediates or lower, to the exclusion of the souls of righteous, this power of love, the great power of attachment, can manifest itself in foreign things. By foreign things we mean fundamentally that which is driven by our ego, such as lust, power, and fame. The power of love is so great that we see throughout history how people's power of love's attachment to lust, power, and fame has destroyed their lives, and at, at times the lives of millions of others, such as in the cases of kings and dictators, even in modern recent history. Thus the soul of intermediates and the souls of wicked need to be protected from their power of love until they work through refining, purifying, and opening their hearts to their commitment only to God and to goodness. How can the egocentric driven soul refine, purify, and open its heart to only goodness and to close his heart to selfishness, dishonesty, and self-seeking. The only foundation that such a process can be built on is humility. Simply speaking, any experience of the power of love that is not sturdily built upon humility is bound to be catastrophic. If it is a personal love relationship, the relationship will become painfully chaotic and often beyond remedy. And if it is a leadership position, great pain and suffering awaits those who he leads. Thus, it is Judah, humility, who must first exist. And only when humility is developed and has prepared the heart can Judah then approach Joseph, the redemption of the power of love. Well then, the question that begs to be asked is, if Judah must exist before Joseph is approached, in other words, if we must humbly cleanse our hearts of ego-driven lusts before we can experience the power of love, then why does Joseph first approach Benjamin, the kindred brother of Judah, and hide within him the goblet of love? The, <coughs> the, excuse me, the answer is that the power of true love is a divine experience which is humanely impossible to obtain on our own. True love is not about just making room for someone else in our lives and of just tolerating another person's opinion, needs, and quirks. True love is an absolute unity of oneness. It is told of Rabbi Yehuda Meir Getz, the previous rabbi of Jerusalem and the Western Wall, that he once went to the doctor with his wife and told the doctor, My wife's foot is hurting us. For a man who humbly cleansed his heart of ego through actions and prayers every day of his life, that was not just poetry, but a tangible reality. Love is not just about making room for the other person in our lives. It is about the total refinement and purification of self to the point of total transparency of self. When there is total lucid transparency of self to the domain of the spiritual oneness of God, then and only then can there be true love. 
Otherwise, we are only capable of fitting the other in to our lives, our egocentric identity and our needs. Fitting the other in to our lives is not true love. Now, as romantic as we want to feel of ourselves, the truth of any soul, but that of a totally spiritual righteous soul, is not capable on its own to achieve such an absolute humility of total removal of self and of total transparency to the oneness of God within all of creation. Thus, first Joseph must hide the goblet of love within the sack of Benjamin, so that we do not have to create that which is impossible for us to create on our own. Rather, now we must just reveal what was so freely given to us from God. The process of revealing this is the process of working and fully developing our Judah of humility and prayer. Let us then take a look at Jacob's ladder of prayer. Jacob had a dream of a ladder set up on the ground and its top reached to heaven and behold angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. Kabbalah and Hasidus interpret the ladder to be the ladder of prayer whose job it is to take us from being set up on the ground of ego and to lift us up to its top reach to heaven of humility and transparency to the oneness of God throughout all of the universe. So too does Hasidic explain to us that the ladder of Jacob's dream had three rungs, which are the three rungs of our morning prayers as our sages constructed it for us. So what is the structure of prayer? We begin with starting off a praise to God, which leads into the portion of prayer called verses of praise. The focus of the entire portion of verses of praise is to concentrate on the details of, and I quote to you two verses, How great are your works, O Lord, you have made them all with wisdom. The earth is full of your possessions. And the second verse, How great are your works, O Lord, your thoughts are very deep. That is the focus of the concentration of verses of praise. This portion of prayer is followed by the portion of the blessings of the Shema, which is the concentration on the services of the angels, that is, and I'll quote to you from the blessings of Shema, and the Ophanim, a type of angels, and the Holy Chayot, another type of angels, with a mighty sound rise towards the Seraphim, yet another type of angels, and facing them offer praise and say, and it goes on to what the praise of the angels are. That's what the blessings of Shema is. The blessings of Shema are followed by the Shema, in which we say, And you shall love God your God. And we say, Take care lest, which are the experience of love and awe for God. And you shall love God is the experience of love for God. Take care lest your heart turns astray is the awe for God. Thus far, all of these rungs of prayer are all of us using concentration and focus on the greatness and the goodness of God in order to give birth to an arousal of the heart, the experience of love and awe created through our work of concentration and focus. This is the lower man-made experience of love, a love created by our strong concentration and focus on the greatness and goodness of God. Additionally, I want to point out 
The Hebrew words for verses of praise is psuke de zimra. Psuke means verses, de zimra means of song, praise. However, this can also mean verses of pruning. The word zimra can also come from the words lizamer, to prune. Thus, through our concentration of God being the Creator and the entire universe is the greatness of your works, we prune the egocentric driven lusts for desire, fame, and power. Okay, so those are the first parts of prayer. However, then comes the portion of the Amida, the prayer of total humility set standing and in silence with a bowed head. This is where we truly refine, purify, and open our hearts to God's gift of true love. This is how Judah approaches Joseph and how we cleanse and prepare our hearts to experience the redemption of Joseph, the power of love. It starts with concentration on the goodness of God, the man-made love, and then absolute humility of Amida, which then is the total opening and purification of our heart for God's gift of divine, true power of love. In closing, very often we are trying to attract love into our lives through the very way that we dispel love from our lives. The very notion of neediness denies humility, and thus neediness actually pushes love out of our lives. Another dimension of this is the need to be needed equally pushes love away from us. And the more we become needy, whether it is because we are consumed with our need to receive love or with our need to be needed, we, the more we push away love from our lives. This vicious cycle is a very painful one, for as our need to love and our need to be loved grows from not receiving it, the more needy we become for it, which then in turn pushes love further away from us, and the cycle is endless. Humility, on the other hand, breeds gratitude. Gratitude for what we have, gratitude for what we don't have, and gratitude for what we will have. This is the attitude that opens our hearts to receiving love. Therefore, here is a daily exercise to do in order to bring love into our lives. Every day, write or type into the Notes app on your phone one thing that you are thankful for having, one thing that you are thankful for not having, and one thing that you are thankful that you will be getting. Here are the important caveats to this exercise if it is going to attract love into our lives. So, the daily exercise is to write down three things. Something you're thankful that you have, something that you're thankful that you do not have, and something that you are thankful for that you will be getting. However, like I mentioned, there are some caveats to this exercise. Here they are. A. It must be done daily, consecutively for 90 days. B. It must be written or typed and not just thought or spoken. C. 
the item that we are thankful for cannot be used more than once in three days. You can't just keep on saying every day, I'm thankful for my health, I'm thankful for... It's got to be not more than... You can't use that same item that you are thankful for having, thankful for not having, and thankful for what you will be having. You cannot use the same item more than once in three days. And may we each be blessed to open our hearts to experience the gift of true love that God planted within each and every one of us. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. The Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism. <laughs>